Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Good day, Olivia. What a greeting. I love that you're changing it up for us. Hello. <laughs> we were just talking and you're you're a little under the weather, so this is going to be a pretty calm and not too crazy one this week. Exactly. Fun, <laughs> educational, you'll learn something new. Still all the good stuff, but it's Olivia the day after her second vaccine sort of recording. That's pretty legit. That's pretty legit. <laughs> it's exciting. I'll be free. I'll be a free human after this. Free to Micah. like any surface you want. That's that's my first plan. Before I see any friends or hug my grandma, I will be licking poles and public transit <laughs> everywhere I can. All right. We got some exciting stuff this podcast. Instead of you asking me what the nerd alert's going to be, I'll just go ahead and say it. We're talking about translation and expansion, two like fairly obscure terms that I think are really key to understanding lettering and type design. And uh, I just recently learned these terms, so I'm excited to share them with our friends. And they're also related to our upcoming workshop, which is How nice. appropriate. So we have another workshop coming up with our wonderful, talented friend, Daniel Nisbet who did our last workshop a month and a half or so ago about Glyphs Mini. And so this one, we wanted to take it a little further. It's called Intro to Drawing Letter Forms. And so he's got this awesome setup where we're gonna like get on this live Zoom call and he's going to demonstrate a couple different techniques for how to draw letters on paper better than you have before. And I don't know about you, but I mean, this is a thing that I have always struggled with. I am not... I mean, you are a very talented hand artist with drawing and sketching and whatnot. I am the absolute worst. That's why I work on computers. And so I'm excited to have some technique to be like, okay, so like, this is probably how you started. Here's a few other ways that will just instantly make you better at this and some things to think about. There's so much good things packed into the workshop. Mike and I got a sneak preview. And as someone that is like fairly well-versed in, you know, drawing letters by hand using a variety of methods, including calligraphic tools and more regular everyday tools, I have to say Daniel has so much good info packed in on the fundamentals, how to get you started. He'll give you a few different methods for drawing letter forms. It's really helpful because then you can kind of pick and choose which one works best for you. And he just like has really great just nuggets of information that will help any you know person interested in maybe starting their own font or even doing lettering pieces I think his his tips apply to so many things and it's really exciting to see him draw the letter forms live and you'll be able to watch them kind of come to life before your eyes and we're doing a thing so it's a two-day workshop too so the first day is going to be an hour and a half of learning stuff with Daniel and watching and then you'll kind of get a chance to work on something yourself. And if you're a league member, we're going to give the option to send your stuff into Daniel so that on the second day, he can kind of give some helpful feedback, which I think will be useful to watch even if yours isn't being presented. But we wanted to be able to give the option for members to present their stuff to not present, you know, give it to Daniel. You don't have to like get dressed up and fancy or anything like that you know but i think that'll be fun and that's kind of a new format for us compared to our workshop last last week last month last, month. last whenever it was 
Oh, time just collapsing in front of our eyes. Also, you know, if, if the time zone doesn't work well for you or you have plans this weekend and can't make it, if you snag a ticket before we go live, you'll be able to get access to the recording, which will be super valuable and just just as packed with great information as it will be live. So definitely want to get in on that while you can. All right. So that's going to be fun. You know, ask us via email or anything if you have any questions. But our, our next article is fantastically related, which is all about the king, Garrett Nordzai. Yes. Wow. I, I love that lead up to this. So I found this article this week in preparation for the Nerd Alert because the Nerd Alert, which is about translation and expansion, are two terms that were coined by Garrett Nordzai. So I was like, okay, you know what? He has, has been so influential in type design education and people understanding how to create type that how about we give him some love and credit here on the weekly typographic so this article i can't believe i do you, have you known type mag before i i didn't know this publication before finding i it. feel like i've seen the logo but this article that we're looking at is like a beautiful piece of art and education on the web that i have never seen this before so maybe yeah. i didn't and just thought that i knew who they were it's typeset so well. It, you just really want to read it. And it's just, it's really thorough. The author of the article, Jan Mittendorp, really does go in depth as to all the type designers he's influenced that we might know today, like Peter and Eric Van Blocklin or Juice Van Rossum. Even the master's program, the type media master's program at KABK and outside of KABK has been influenced by Garrett Nordzai's teaching. So he was a typographer, a calligrapher, a researcher, type designer, but he was really well known for teaching type and his book, The Stroke. And, and that's called The Stroke Theory of Writing. It was published in 1985 and it talks about creation of typography and creation of letter forms, which is pretty interesting. And for like what I know, there's nothing quite like this book that I've seen. It's really been pivotal for a lot of teaching. And Micah, you have taught the Nord's Eye technique for drawing letters before, correct? Yeah, that actually used to be a thing that we had when you joined the league and is no more. Well, we're going to be going over, we're going over that technique on Saturday, which is exciting. And I think that like, I always know that technique of drawing letters called the Northside Technique, but you really did contribute so much more to typography and design. And I, I think that this article like really showcases that well and his legacy. I didn't realize he was still living. He's 90 years old. I think he lives over in Europe, maybe like Rotterdam, potentially. Rotterdam? I think. It, wait, we need to do a quick Google. I definitely, I remember reading Rotterdam in this article. Yes, he does. Shoot. I was in Rotterdam once and I didn't even say hi. I'm sure he's a busy man. I'm sure, yeah, he's high in demand. But it was pretty interesting. He really leaned into the analog way of creation for letter forms. And I think he was one of the type designers that was, you know, started their career when everything was mostly analog and ended it when things were going digital. And I think he was fairly resistant to the new digital wave. But it's interesting because even with digital typography still kind of reigning king here, his methods and his perspective, sometimes called the pen perspective, really proved to be a guiding way of thinking about digital type and lettering. And the way that people make letter forms now still kind of derive from his fundamentals. Such a great article, such a good find, such good illustrations in this article too. Yeah, you can see some of his work as well, which I've never seen his book covers, but you can tell he was a lover of typography. Totally. 
All right, the next article I actually found that I thought some of the, the nerdy nerds would appreciate too, which is this very detailed and beautiful article, also fantastically typeset, but in a totally different way, about how confusing and messed up font size is on the computer. And this is this is like a lot of fascinating background for some of the digital stuff. They, they start with a really interesting example here. If, if you just put font size 32 in your code, in your CSS, can, can you guess what that 32 is related to? And then there's this beautiful illustration right after that's like, actually, nothing. And so then they dive into like the history of, of how the, that decision was made, sort of like with the point system and relative sizing for fonts, because obviously fonts are vectors and can rescale. And then it's neat because you learn a lot with these beautiful illustrations. And as you go through it, you kind of realize that they're suggesting a new system that doesn't exist yet, right? Which is being able to dictate in your code cap size, for example. Mm -hmm. And the benefits of why that would be so much more useful than this like arbitrary number that doesn't relate to anything in the font. Yes. Yeah. I'm curious what you thought when you checked out this article, Olivia. I get really confused on how to explain font sizes to people because I know it has to do with the M square, but like the whole unit of the M E M is what I'm talking about is like vaguely outdated because it used to be rooted in metal type. Now it's kind of rooted in however the beziers are drawn in in relation to this like potential M square. So I am all for a new method of figuring out how to control <laughs> font size on the web. I think it's it's really messy and it's really complicated. And I personally always have a hard time discerning it. And I was made, I felt better once I read, read this article and saw that, you know, Mac OS does 72 PPI for their screens and then Windows does 96. And that's why there's also a whole nother level of inconsistency because of how the screen does displays. So this made me feel better. And yes, two new methods of measuring type. I am for it. I will be an early adopter. And especially they were talking about line height, how line height is just as much of a mess as font sizes too. If you read through the whole article, the way that the line height is, it's also dependent on the type of font you're using, not necessarily the baselines of the font you're using. And so that's how a letting can just get like all messed up. And so they talk about how for letting, they suggest using a percentage when you're working on the web, doing like letting is like 200% or something mm -hmm. like that, which I think you taught me too, which is great. And yes, lots of great stuff in here. It's written by Nikita Prokopov, big fan, big, big fan. Who worked on FIRA code, the font. And interestingly, at the bottom, there's a couple links that are related to everything that he's talking about here. And we've talked about two of these links in the past. One is this like cap size library that we've talked about that is well worth checking out if you're in the code sphere and care about typography. And it's kind of a hack to be able to do this. You know, who, I forget who the author is of the library for the code here, but this chunk of code is a way to do that even though browsers can't do it with JavaScript and then the leading trim, letting trim, actually now that I'm saying it out loud, I don't know which it is because it could ah. be either, right? That article is about how the people who decide what goes into CSS noticed that library and were like, oh, maybe this is a good point. Maybe we should be measuring by cap height and, and cutting things off. So if you're yes. like into this article, those two are good to check out too. 
all about the small details that I feel like I even just gloss over typically when I'm designing. But then if I actually think about it, I'm like, hey, this man's bringing up some good points here. I also want to ask Olivia, unrelated, did you check out the little switch at the top of his blog? There's a lot of a lot of places, a lot of places online, a lot of websites have like light mode, dark mode now, right? Because that, you know, at least with iOS, that recently became a thing that people care about. And so I've seen a lot of blogs have light mode, dark mode. <laughs> Instead of light mode, dark mode, he has is like sun and moon. And the moon is totally useless and totally just goofy of just like, yeah. it turns every all the lights off and just follows your mouse. It's very Yeah. Cute. So your mouse is like the little flashlight. It's yeah. the only way you could read any of the content on them. That's hilarious. It's ridiculous and cute. Good find. Nice little Easter egg in there. Very excited about what we've got next. It mm. is a beautiful collection of beautiful lettering. It's by yeah. a newsletter called The Casual Archivist, I believe run by Elizabeth Goodspeed. And I don't, I'm not too familiar with the newsletter. I do believe she is her own archivist and has ephemera that she collects, whether digitally or physically. And this one is all about really old school letter forms that I believe look, you know, Victorian era letter forms, maybe definitely not from recently and definitely old methods of printing, but just as fun as some of the cool stuff being produced today. And Lots of intricate details in a lot of these letter forms that I greatly appreciate. Lots of kind of like weird, unconventional ways of making the forms too that I just think are enjoyable to look at. Yeah, I was excited. My friend Lindsay sent me this and I just love looking at old stuff. And I think that's primarily the point in this instance. But at the end, there was a throwaway sentence that you can find all these, you can find these all over the place if you keep an eye out, but as always, Flickr is king. And it kind of reminded me, A, that Flickr exists. Forgot about them. Still exists. Does that blow your mind? Like back in the day, I mean, I obviously used it for photography, but there was this whole giant subculture of scanning stuff like this and importing it and posting it on Flickr with public licenses that people could use. That was, I think, how we found some of the first inspiration for a couple of our original fonts was hunting on Flickr Um, for old specs and stuff. I feel like I used to hang out on Flickr. There's definitely a Flickr collection of manicules, like the hand, the pointing hand printed Mm, glyph. I loved that. I could just look at that all day. But even if you like recently, I don't know if it's Klim type, they showed a bunch of reference material over one of their beautiful typefaces and it was reference material from Flickr. So it's cool hey. that it's there. And we got to remind people because... Ahead, and you can see a lot by looking in the past issues that's linked at the top of this article. Mm. There's just so many beautiful things. Just found. Yeah. Wow. Well, certainly we'll be bookmarking this. Right? I just signed up. I'm on the list. Incredible. Keep us updated. Our final link is very exciting, and it is the Diversity Type Project. Kind of an unusual project, but very cool. It is an open call for letter forms. It's run by a small studio, I believe, called Distillery, and they're taking submissions of letter forms from all over the world, from the Latin alphabet, hopefully to bring together hundreds of different stories and experiences and to represent people from all sorts of backgrounds and places. So this is kind of exciting. I've seen these typefaces in the past where letters kind of from each different person. And I think they're going to probably get a lot of cool letter forms punched into this font that's coming out. 
Yeah, I've definitely seen one or two projects like this happen in the past, but I like that they are making it very obviously about diversity and calling attention to it. And also that when they sell it, the money's going to charity. That's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, and I think even when you submit your letter, talk about which charity, there's a few different charities you can just want to select for the ultimate charitable donation to go towards. And I believe submissions are currently open until April 18th. So you still have time to clip something up that will best describe your experience as a human or designer and submit it for this lovely project. I personally, because I'm a nerd, was very curious. Like, oh, is this headline where the word diversity is like a bunch of different fonts that must be like they've started on it and they're just showing like a preview of it. No, that's not it at all. It's not necessarily going to look like that at all. It's literally they they have a bunch of existing fonts and they're just loading up like 20 different fonts on the page and switching them out, which wow, is cool. Okay. But also reminded me of like, uh, I remember that, that Jack Black song, like this tribute. This song is just a tribute, whatever. It was like singing about how this is the greatest song in the world. And then they're like, actually, no, this is just a tribute to the greatest song in the world. Wow, that sounds like a Jack Black song. I mean, whatever. It's a weird reference. But I I just thought that was very funny because it's like a beautiful sight on top of everything else. Yeah. So and I think they're going to feature some of the artists on the site when more get involved. I know they have Amber Weaver from Femtype up there, but it sounds like more artists are coming soon. So Definitely get involved if you are interested. Pretty cool. I'm going to follow them on Instagram, I think. Yes, good idea. Now is actually kind of a cool time to take a break and say, hey, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Adobe for helping to sponsor this week's episode. Their creative suite is one of the standards of design software and comes with a subscription to like a giant library of fonts that you can install, embed, use pretty much however you like. We've even got a few of our fonts in their library as well, if you're looking for those. And uh, we are grateful for them supporting the community with us. Totally. And thanks, too, to our members. Um, If you don't know, we've got a small and wonderful membership where for a tiny amount every month, you get awesome extra resources in our weekly typographic emails every week. Those are cool fonts that we found that you might want to add to your arsenal. Current jobs or gigs you might be interested in. Um, At the moment, it's only $5 a month, and we're upgrading a bunch soon. So hop in now if you want to get those goodies next week. Okay, Micah. It's time. It's time. (laughs) We're here. We're here. It's Nerd Alert, guys. This week, we are talking about translation and expansion. Two words that I think are need-to-know words for people that are interested in type design and lettering. I learned about these two terms when I was in Lin Yun's lettering class back in 2020, pre-pandemic. Doesn't that feel like ages ago? Ten years. (laughs) Right? And I was like, what? I can't believe I didn't learn this before. And then I know Daniel mentioned it during our preview of the workshop. And I was like, oh my gosh, we should talk about this because these are terms people throw around. And I think some people in type design and lettering know them depending on who they were taught because it does, again, like I said earlier, come from Nordseye's, Garrett Nordseye's method of teaching how to draw letter forms. So the basics of it, translation and expansion There are two different ways to create contrast within letter forms. Sometimes they're considered contrast types if we're trying to put them into categories. 
for translation, I'll start there. That is at its essence, a letter form structure is based off of a broad edge tool. So if we want some, some more background around that, you know, for several, several, several centuries, broad edge tools were used in calligraphy to create letter forms like black letter, uncial, italic, even, you know, the Roman old style, old style Roman uh, letter forms we're familiar with today. And that's how a lot of the first types were created in type design. They were based off of what, of letter forms that were made with a broad edged tool. So that means that there was kind of this like older style look to it. And the contrast was uh, defined in the letter forms by how the tool moves. So with a broad edge tool, you typically don't change the angle of it and you move it around a piece of paper and whatever marks that are made after you move it around a piece of paper, after the movement is finished is how the type contrast is created. So if you can imagine like a broad edge tool that we're familiar with today is like a fat highlighter. A fat highlighter, you have an edge to your to your tool. It's not just a point like it is on our typical mm. point pens. So if you took that highlighter and you put it at a 30 degree angle and drew a circle with it, you'd have some sides where the edge is thick and then at some points where it's thin and then it's thick again and thin. That influences a lot of typography that we're familiar with today and influenced calligraphy, obviously. And that is one way to know where to put the thick parts of the letter and the thin parts of the letter. So when you're drawing, you know, an uppercase A, if you had a broad edge tool, the left side is going to be thin because that's naturally what's following your tool and the right side is going to be thick because that's also following the tool. So the type of contrast is called translation. And then the type of contrast that's called expansion is based off of a flexible nibbed tool, so a pointed pen. And expansion gets its name because it's based off of pressure. So with the tools they had, we think more of like pens that we know today, except instead of just having one width to the pen, if you put more pressure in the pen, you can create a wider width. So think about in general, if you have a pointed paintbrush and you're really, really light with your hand and then you put a lot of pressure, you'd have a thicker stroke, basically. That is where we get expansion. And that was a whole different way of creating a contrast. And in that sense is when the stress of the contrast moved from an angle stress, like it does with a broad edge tool to a vertical stress, like a more geometric construction. So we think about like type bases like Bodoni and Dido, that's actually the contrast is created by an expansion method. It's not based upon some sort of tool that was creating it as opposed to more, you know, stoic type bases like Albertus or even Trojan. You can see the, the contrast in the letter forms is based off of really a kind of old style of creating letter forms and not like a geometric grid. And so when we look at letter forms today, it's mostly applicable to serifs and scripts typography. You can see some of that origin taking place. And why I think it's so important is that way you don't have to make up off the top of your head where the contrast is going to live in a letter form. It's really either going to come down to, is this a letter form made with a type of contrast that is closer to translation or is a type of letter form whose contrast is closer to expansion? And that will tell you where to put the thicks and thins in your letter form. See, I think that's really interesting because that is always a thing that I have struggled with is like, how do people know? 
and mm-hmm. and now that that feels like it's just a decision of like okay here's some examples of one here's some examples of other which which would i rather mine look like oh cool so i have to use that that pattern and that's how i know when it's supposed to be thick and when it's supposed to be thin that's crazy i love you calling it a pattern too because I think it's really important to know the difference, but I don't think you need to be a calligrapher to understand the difference. I think it can be beneficial to use different pens and see how they create marks. But once you start picking up on the pattern through typefaces that you see, you can be like, oh yeah, that's where I want my contrast to lie. And I want my typeface to reference back to that. And it's pretty interesting. Nordsai taught this for typography courses, but lettering books, I was looking through my lettering books I had, and they touch on this concept as well. And I know in Jessica Hish's book, she very explicitly talks about translation and expansion. And then in my other lettering books, I couldn't find a direct terminology for it. But I know Martina Floor has two specimen pages, one specimen page where she shows letter forms with translation contrast and another page where she shows letter forms with expansion contrast. And as long as you have examples in either one, you can kind of apply it to all sorts of letter forms moving forward. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I'm excited to see Daniel's live uh, demonstration of this. And if any of our listeners want to see a quick sketch of this, there uh, is a lovely reference image in the first article about Garrett Nord's eye. And it's one of the first images on that link. And it shows you his explanation of translation and expansion. Pretty, pretty educational, my friend. Look at you. Good one. Sick and doing a great job. Oh, thanks. That's why we love you. We all love you. I got to show up for for the league, you know, forever and always. (laughs) Well, thanks for that. That's cool because that's the kind of topic uh, you really don't hear talked about much, too. You know, that feels like one of those things that that just the people in the know pass to other people in the know. Yeah. And, you know, I just felt like I've done calligraphy for years and didn't even hear that term. So it was lovely to kind of be able to put some of the calligraphy methods I've used before into buckets and to help explain it to people that aren't calligraphy people, but are interested in how to make letter forms. Because as you will find out in Daniel's workshop, you don't need to be a calligrapher to make beautiful letter forms. You just have to understand how to draw letter forms. Yeah, that's good. That's kind of inspiring. Good. Great. (laughs) Love to hear it. All right. Speaking of which, you know, if there's anything that, that, pops up for you wonderful humans out there that you're like shoot i wonder if you guys could talk about that a little bit more or like explain this concept i've never quite gotten email it in we love suggestions half the time we're like shoot what should we even talk about so hopefully everybody enjoyed these links there's a couple really good reads that that might uh, be entertaining all week long so we will be back well, we we will see anybody who's joining us for the workshop this weekend it's this weekend saturday and sunday and for anybody else, we'll see you on this whole darn podcast next week. <laughs> Look at us. Killed it. <laughs>